Well, good morning. I'm glad to see the room has filled up a little bit in the last few minutes. Um, we have some things to take care of. If you weren't here for it, uh, you need to be aware that uh, I am not Alex Culpepper. <laughs> and he would normally be standing in this location, but at a quarter to five this morning, I got a text that said, yeah, contractions since 1.30, we're going to treat this like the real deal. And so, uh, the Culpeppers are not here in person this morning. My suspicion is that between the contractions, they're probably actually watching the live stream right now. So everybody wave, <laughs> just in case they're actually out there. But uh, yeah, don't hang your hat on that peg. Um, ah, I prayed a little while ago that we would be receptive to truth and not just receptive to recognize truth but that we would actually allow truth to enter into our being and change us. That's a really important idea. So let me read something to you. And you can feel free to fill in where appropriate. What makes a king out of a slave? Courage. What makes the flag on the mast to wave? Courage. What makes the elephant charge his tusk in the misty mist or the dusky dusk? What makes the muskrat guard his musk? Courage. What makes the sphinx the seventh wonder? Courage. What makes the dawn come up like thunder? What makes the hottentot so hot? What puts the ape in apricot? What have they got that I ain't got? Thank you. Courage. <laughs> Well, the wizard went on to say to the cowardly lion, you, my unfortunate friend, are a victim of unorganized thinking. You think that just because you run away from danger that you have no courage. You're confusing courage with wisdom. Back where I come from, we have men who are called heroes. Once a year, they take their fortitude out of mothballs and parade it down the main street of the city, and they have no more courage than you have. But they have one thing you haven't got, a medal. Therefore, for meritorious conduct, extraordinary valor, conspicuous bravery against wicked witches, I award you the Triple Cross. You are now a member of the Legion of Courage. Well, before we get all too sentimental about these things, let's remember what the classic rock band America had to say about this. See, they said, Oz never did give nothing to the tin man that he didn't already have. So apart from being a triple negative and really poor grammar, 
the point was that the tin man and the scarecrow and the cowardly lion already possessed the brain, the courage, and the heart that they thought they lacked. They each thought themselves to be deficient in character. They thought they were lacking in some character quality. What Oz showed them was that the thing they thought they lacked was in them all along. Compassion, intelligence, valor, those things were part of their nature. They didn't realize it because they had been lied to and they had believed the lies about themselves. And when those lies entered them and they received those lies as truth, the tin man thought that because his chest sounded hollow when he tapped on it, that he had no heart. The scarecrow thought that he was a nothing because his head was full of stuffing. And that made him less than intelligent. And of course, the lion thought that just because he ran away meant that he had no courage or valor. But we, of course, saw him protect what was important to him and put his real colors on display. So I want to read some things for you this morning. And I want to talk about human nature. In the book of Genesis again, but this time in chapter 1, in verse 27, we read these words. God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, in, these day, in this day and age, I have to be careful what I say and what I read. Because there are people out there who will think that since I read that passage, this must be a message about gender identity. And that's just not the case. See, human nature causes us to take the things that are important to us and elevate them and impose that over everything in life. But that's not the important thing here. The important thing in here is that God created something. And he created that thing the way he created it. And what is that way? That way is in the image of God. That's the important idea here right now, that God created us in his image. And then, of course, God gave to Adam and Eve instructions about their behavior based on their nature, that they were created in his image. Now, I'm not sure if you get this, but when we take a photograph 
of someone, which we do all the time, right? I mean, even our own selves nowadays. We take a selfie to document everything and publish it out there so people know that we were at the stop sign at 9.58 on our way to church, right? So, but it's, it's true, we do that. And uh, what I want you to realize is that the image of you in your phone is not you. You got that? It's not you. It's just a bunch of photons hitting pixels and, and a CMOS and creating an electrical impulse that's recorded in a thing that can be called up at a moment's notice and put your image on display. It's not you. It's not anything about you. And the image of God in us is in some ways similar to that. That is, the image of God in us is not God, but it is his image. And he found it to be really important to store that image in us and recall it from time to time and look at it and see his reflection. So as a result, we have things that are really bad. We have things like murder. Murder is really bad. But murder is really bad partly because it's an attack on something God created. But more importantly, murder is bad because it attacks the image of God in us. You see, right and wrong, good and bad, sin... That's for God to decide. And he's, he's the one it depends on. Whether a thing is right or wrong depends on what God says about it. So I want to go forward a little bit in Genesis to chapter 3 and read that passage again and ask you to think about it from this perspective that God is revealing Something about himself. And once that thing is revealed, then it's out there. And just like we can take a program and manipulate an image to look different than it really is, something was able to happen here to distort the image of God in man. So let me look at it and read it to you. God created... Man, mankind, human beings, in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. But in chapter 3, the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said, let me paraphrase that for a moment rather than just read it. Come on. Did God really say that you would die if you ate from any tree, if you ate from the wrong tree in the garden? I mean, that's basically the paraphrase. Come on, God's holding out on you. He knows that if you eat that, you won't die. You'll be like God. 
you'll know the difference between good and evil. And, and the thing here is that it wasn't so much that they would have a comprehension of good and evil. It's that they would have the power. The lie was, if you eat from the tree that God said don't eat from that tree, you will gain the power to determine which things are good and which things are evil. God reserves that for himself. That's not something he gave to us as human beings. But the lie came about. If you just go against God, you can become like him. So, in this discussion about human nature, what does that reveal about us? Well, it reveals something that's basically true about us, and that is that every single one of us has inside of him some malformed image of God. See, when, when this happened, and the woman ate and then gave to her husband, and he ate, and that's important. It's important to recognize that he was with her. Adam was with Eve. He was there. He was watching. He was willing to allow the conversation to go on. He was passive. So what is there in humanity that has come to us as a result of eating that fruit? It didn't change us to make us like God so that we could discern what things or even determine what things would be good and what things would be evil. But that's how we are, isn't it? That's how we are. Look around you in our culture. About the only thing that you cannot do is tell somebody else that they're wrong because today we believe that we each have the right, the power, the authority to determine what things are good, what things are evil, what things are right, what things are wrong, what things are good, what things are bad. That has become part of our nature. It wasn't given to us by God. It was, well, what happened was we heard a message. We heard a lie. We allowed that lie in. And when it got in, we allowed it to change us. And that's what happens. That's what happens. The tin man pounds on his chest, and he hears a hollow echo. That hollow echo is a lie, because what it says to him is, there's nothing in there. You have no heart. The lion runs away from danger, and what it says to him is, you have no valor. There is nothing valorous in you. You have no courage and therefore no value. You are a scaredy cat, not a lion. Because he allowed the message in that because you run away from danger from time to time, not every time, but from time to time, you must be a, courage, a, a coward. Uh, for, for the 
scarecrow. It's, there's nothing in here but straw. My head is just a burlap sack full of straw with a face drawn on it. There's nothing but stuffing up there. I'm not smart. I'm not intelligent. Each one of these three believed a lie. A lie that defined who they would be. It did not change who they were. It's like the image in your phone. Right? That image is not you. And the lies they believed and what became of them as a result did not change who they really were, only what they did. Now, it's important. There is a, a new word out there. There is a new word out there in common popular use. The word is FUD. Anybody know what FUD is? Yeah? FUD. It's, it's a great word. It really is. Um, it's... It's Elmer. No, it's only got one D. Sorry about that. Elmer Fudd's got two Ds. This is just F-U-D, Fudd. Fudd. Fudd is a word that's come about in popular use in order to give pushback against the messages of doom and gloom in our our culture. And and it it could be anywhere. Uh, No matter what you're interested in, there's somebody out there talking Fudd about it. And FUD stands for fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Everywhere you look in our culture, people are spreading fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Some of them are making statements about themselves, which put you and me and basically everybody else in a position of being judged by our culture. And what that does is it spreads fear, uncertainty, and doubt about us and our message. Now, we're going through this process. We're calling it Renovate Me. Renovate Us. And it's a process of trying to discover what God is bringing Alliance Bible Church to in the upcoming weeks, months, and years. One of the things that your church leadership, your elders, your pastors are absolutely certain about is that God's word is true. And who he is making us into is a reflection of his original intention for mankind. It's also true that he's calling us to engage in Jesus' mission. To make a long story short, let's just for now boil it down to we need to communicate the gospel so that we can introduce people to Jesus Christ. That's that's the mission. We want to introduce people to Jesus Christ. And why? Would we want to do that? Apart from the fact that Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. 
Why would we do this? Well, there's a lot of reasons. Um, not the least of which is that God loves us. And not only does he love us, but Romans 5, 8 says that he demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So what does that mean? Well, <clears throat> let's go back to the image thing, okay? Um, we've basically believed the lies that we don't need God. That belief entering into our heart has resulted in actions. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What that tells us is God is the standard and somehow we've missed that standard. Now sin, I want to define that for us. Because it's just one of those words that we inside the church use and people outside think they understand it. And, and actually we think we understand it and might not have an exactly right idea about it. So I'll try to make it simple so that it's something we can invite into our life and allow it to change us. But sin is this. It's the fact that something has manipulated the image of God in us and distorted it. That thing that manipulates that image is sin and distorts the image of God in us. But when I say us, I don't mean us in this room. I mean everybody on the planet. That's the thing. Everybody on the planet has been corrupted from God's original intention because we have believed the lie that we don't need God and we have allowed that to affect us. Okay, here's, here's, the, here's the theological disclaimer. There is, in the book of Hebrews and a few other places in the New Testament, a discussion about how that distortion of God's image passes down from generation to generation. That's a really important concept, but for us, when we're thinking of ourselves and when we're trying to figure out how to engage with people who have a different perspective from us, it's not so important how we got this way. It's not so important that all the generations before us had this distortion. What's important is that I have this distortion in me. I am a distorted image of God. Something, let's call it sin, has manipulated that image in me. Well, why is that so important anyway? There's kind of a so what here, like Alex is constantly introducing us to, right? The so what is this, that the answer for that distortion, the corrective lens, if you will, or the original image, if you will, that can be restored. And that's good news. That's good news. But here, here's where my prayer at the beginning comes in. We have to learn the truth, allow the truth to enter, and allow it to have its way with us. 
and really change us from the inside out. And that's true about everyone on the planet. We like to say it this way when we're in church. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Okay, well, what does that mean? What does that mean? When I'm at the checkout and I'm talking to someone who's having a miserable day and they can't express it because, because it's, they're, they're at work, they're representing their boss, they can't express the miserable day they're having. When, but I can sense there's something going on here because the person is very professional and very you know, not relational uh, or whatever it might be. When I'm talking to that person, how do I communicate this message that the things that are going on that are wrong, there's an answer to them. I mean, there's not maybe an immediate solution to your situation, but there's an answer. There's an answer to how you can respond to your situation. There's an answer to how you can restore that image in your life. Let, let me look at the book of Ecclesiastes for a minute and just make this comment because one of the things that we argue about a lot is what really happened when Adam ate that apple? If that's, if that's what it was, an apple, whatever it was. What really happened when Adam went against God and declared his independence from God? Scripture is the best commentator on Scripture. And this is the only time when I have found, this is the only thing that I have found is a direct comment in Scripture about that event. And it's found in the book of Ecclesiastes, and it says this. This only have I found. God created man upright. But he has sought out many devices. Devices. The word is the same as the root word for devious. Device. Devious. So, so God created man upright, but man looked for, he sought out tools he could use to go against God. And the first one was grabbing onto this lie that you will not die, you will be like. And so what is the effect of Adam's devious behavior? It became part of our nature to be devious, to find ways to put God in his place and elevate ourselves to his place. Whew, dangerous stuff. Okay. There's a foundation. All the things that I've said, it might have seemed disjointed, but I'm drawing from different places in order to flesh out a, a foundation for us to build our actions on. And that foundation is this. 
I am as devious as anybody. And the image of God in me is distorted. And it's only by destroying my own life and allowing God to supplement, no, not supplement, replace my life with his life. Only then can that original image be restored. That's me I'm talking about. So it comes down to this, and, and I've given this testimony before. The result of my, my coming to the Lord was not, um, God, I hurt so bad and I need you to make me feel better. The result of my commitment to the Lord was a recognition that you really are God and I am not. Whenever we disagree, you're right and I'm wrong. It's me who has to change. So that's what, that's what when I was introduced to Jesus, that's what it meant. That's what it meant that I didn't get to be the guy who decides what's right and wrong anymore. I have to submit myself to him because no matter what I think, he really is right. But more than that, he is the one who gets to decide what's right. And he is the one who has the power to make that real. So that's our foundation. So when I'm talking to the checkout person, and they're having a rotten day, and they're tempted to just, who knows what, right? Explode, be rude, um, just put up the wall, nothing gets through, I'm mechanically doing my job here, I'm scanning everything, and you put your card in the slot and we're done, okay? Just move on, don't talk to me. Uh, when, when I engage that person, or when, um, when I'm at the Starbucks, and there's somebody sitting there having a conversation, and I hear what they're talking about, and I'm going like, wait a minute, that doesn't align with what God has to say. Uh, what, what is there that I can do? How can I engage people? When I'm in a college class, which I haven't been in for a long time, so I'm not likely to be there again soon, but when I'm in a college class, and I'm, I'm hearing ideas espoused, and I'm hearing arguments about things where people are just, you know, this doesn't agree with God. How can I engage? When I'm, when I'm in a position of influence, I'm at work, and I have oversight over people, and I see that their behavior is not what it should be. Either their work ethic is, is different or or their conversation, or the way they treat one another is different uh, from, from God's standard. How do I engage? How can I talk to people about this without slamming the door shut on the conversation? Part of what we'll be doing in the next several years, sex, the next several months to years is going through and answering that question. How can we engage? 
So I want to give you a first step and challenge you to go back to Genesis and recognize this. That the person you're looking at, the person you're thinking about, the person you're talking to, the person you're angry about, the person you feel sad over, the person who you grieve for because you see them going down a path that's going to hurt them later. When you see these people think this way, that person is created in the image of God. And that image is distorted. But Jesus can restore it. When you do that, especially if you say it to them. You know, there are people in our lives who know we are followers of Jesus. And we engage their lives. When we engage their lives, they're watching. It's just like Alex said a week ago, right? He was talking about the book of Exodus. And he was saying that these several chapters in the book of Exodus reveal how we are to treat our neighbors. And what it reveals is that God cares about people And so we need to care about them too, care about our neighbors, so that if we follow what God has done, what people will see is that we are telling a story, a story about a God who cares for them. And when we have it in our mind that the people we're talking to and telling this story to were created in the image of God, that puts certain responsibility on us. We now have a responsibility to treat them as though they are bearers of the image of God. I mean, let's face it. All your selfies are in your phone. And of course, a lot of your social interactions are in there too. So you protect it. Right? You protect your phone. Hey, who has not said? Raise your hand if you have not said ever. My life is in that thing. All right. See? We think, my phone, yeah, my whole life is in there. But you know what? It's not. But we protect it. Because some of the things we value are in there. Well... When we're looking at a person and we say about them in our own minds, this person is created in the image of God, what we are saying is the things that are important to us are in them. And we have to protect that. So that's a foundation. Let me build a little bit on top of that foundation and challenge you not just to begin to think that way and let that change your interactions with people. You know, let's not just hear the news or hear our favorite pundit and think about the opposite political party 
that that person is an idiot and has no right to be out there, or if we have a particular perspective on, on uh, oh, it could be anything. Um, let's call it human trafficking because I think everybody is pretty much in the same boat. That's a bad thing. But if we have a perspective on human trafficking and somebody is engaged in human trafficking, what, what do we want to do? We want to cancel them, right? We want to lock them up, get them out. of. But you know what? They're still a person created in God's image. And that image is still something that we ought to protect. And God values it highly. So let me add this layer to our foundation. Challenge you. When you're out there talking to people, it's probably your relatives who think you're crazy for being a Christian, right? Or your friends who think you're crazy for being a Christian. Or, or the people that you've tried to witness to in the Starbucks and they think you're, you're, you've lost your mind, right? Whoever it is, I want to challenge you. Tell them. You are really important to me because you're created in the image of God. And God's image is in you, just like it's in me. And it's distorted in me, just like it's distorted in you. If you do that, if you tell people, I'm going to treat you as though God's image is in you, They will watch you. Oh, they will watch you. They might even do things knowing that it's going to offend you just to see your reaction. Just to see your reaction. So what does our reaction have to be? Our reaction has to be that we ascribe to that person, the value, the dignity, and the worth that comes with the image of God. And protect it like we protect our selfies on our phone. Why? Well, my life is in that thing, right? But God has invested that in us from his perspective. What's in us, the life we have, you got to follow this now because this is really important. The life we have is a result of this event in history. God breathed into Adam's nostrils, and Adam became a living soul. And that life that God breathed into Adam is still powerful. And active, and it's why I'm alive. And it's why you're alive. And it is the thing that God most desires to protect in us. How do I know this? Because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In order to what? Give us new life.
Okay. To the tin man. Who was looking for a heart. To him Oz said this. As for you my galvanized friend. You want a heart. You don't know how lucky you are not to have one. Hearts will never be practical until they can be made unbreakable. Back where I come from, there are men who do nothing all day but good deeds. They are called called good deed doers. And their hearts are no bigger than yours. But they've got one thing you haven't got. A testimonial. Therefore, in consideration of your kindness, I take pleasure at this time in presenting you with a small token of our esteem and affection. And remember, my sentimental friend, that a heart is not judged by how much you love, but by how much you are loved by others. I'm not sure I can buy into all of that. In fact, I'm absolutely certain I cannot buy into much of that. But there's an idea there we have to remember. That it is not fortunate to be heartless. It is very unfortunate for us and for everyone around us. But there's this. Remember, my sentimental friend, that our heart is not judged by how much we love, but by how much we are loved by others. That's something I think I can see from two different angles. The one angle is God's perspective. A heart is judged by how much it loves. Right? God's perspective, we ought to love one another. Why? Because he loves us. Why else? Because God is love. And the scripture flat out says, God is love. If he's that, if we value his image in us, we value the love he has for us and for everyone else, and it is up to us with all our heart to love. But then there's this. I can see it from the other side. That A heart is judged by how much it is loved by others. And here's where I think there's scar tissue. It's a thickening and a desensitizing of our mind and heart. That we desire to be loved rather than to love. And that desensitizes us. But if I look from a third perspective down on this whole thing and see how they all, it all interplays together, what I want to recognize, and I think this is really important for us, so don't miss it. We oftentimes go through life 
becoming offensive for the sake of the gospel. Not allowing the gospel to be the thing that's offensive, but we become offensive. And if we were not offensive, but instead we loved, then we would be judged by others, and we could measure that judgment by how much they love us. You see, it's us a lot of times who goes out there and causes people to hate what it means to be a Christian. Why? Because we're proud, we're arrogant, we're offensive. We don't approach people with the idea that the image of God in them is precious, and that makes them precious. Instead, we come at them with a measuring stick, and we say, you don't measure up, and you better get right. I think our heart would be judged better by the world if we actually treated people like there's some precious thing in them that God desires us to be a part of restoring. And first, love. And reveal the person of Christ. Allow the Holy Spirit to be the Holy Spirit. To draw to nurture, to wrestle. Scripture says this. It's really appropriate this morning because Andrea's going through it right now. Scripture says this, that God's Spirit travails as if he's in labor so that we can be restored to the image of God. We need to let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit and let him wrestle in the lives of individuals. Oh, yes, he will cause us to be honest with people. And sometimes honesty means saying, that's not right. But it should never be a condemnation. It should always be an encouragement to restore the image. And so we have a lot to learn because we like to get it right. Right? We like to line the ducks up in a row and get everything straight and organized and force conformity. I saw an interesting thing just the other night. I don't know if you've been watching it, but there is a thing out there called The Chosen. It is um, a telling of the gospel stories from an interesting perspective. <clears throat> the question at the beginning was, what would the gospel, how would it be revealed today if it were a television show? Okay, so there are things that, that are just really creative in it, but there's a lot of value to it. And one of the things that happened was that Jesus was talking in this recent episode about a person who could not accept who he was. <clears throat> and he admitted 
to this man who was about to give up his daughter to follow Jesus. The daughter wanted to follow Jesus. The man wanted to protect his daughter, so he came to Jesus and confronted him and said, my daughter is going to do this. I need some answers. And one of the things that happened was that Jesus admitted to this man, I make some hard demands on my followers. But he said, I demand almost nothing from those who do not follow. That's a real thing. That is a real thing. It is the job of the Holy Spirit to make a person uncomfortable. Scripture tells us the ministry of the Spirit is to convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. If he wants to speak through us those things, then we must allow it. Because if I don't agree with him, God is God. God. I am not. We must allow him to speak through us. But compassion, mercy, grace, valuing a person, showing them the dignity that should be theirs because the image of God rests in them, Those are all things you don't even have to ask. Is that what you want me to do? That's just something we need to pick up and figure out. So we don't always have it. We don't always have it. And so if there's one point to our message today, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. It's me who's distorted. And I'm just a distorted image of God walking around in a world full of people who carry distorted images of God trying to allow the Holy Spirit to restore that image in all of us. So come on up. So we're going to sing this last song and then I'll dismiss us.